We are going to energize the country. Stop Brexit. No more Mr. Nice Guy. Seamus and not sure this is a great idea, is it? Order! Hello and welcome to the Debated Podcast. I'm your host, Will, and I'm joined by my co-host, Conrad. Hello. And in this episode, we're delighted to uh, have another returning guest. I think this is our third uh, returning guest. It's William Kajani, who is the Elections, Politics and Policy Analyst for Star Sports Betting. Welcome back to the podcast, William. Pleasure to be here. Uh, so first of all, I'd like uh, to ask, obviously general elections are not frequent events, uh, they happen, well they've happened a bit more frequently uh, in recent years than perhaps they used to do, uh, but how much do you think they impact people betting on politics? Do they particularly drive political betting more than anything else or, or what? What do you think the influence? The influence is a big one. Um, Turnover increases because more people generally are aware of political betting when there's an election on. Um, We offer markets all year round, but when things are actually happening, and we've had that a lot with Brexit um, leading into this election, people notice, um, and it's a good opportunity for us to get out there. So people come into this election more aware than ever that they can bet with pretty much any bookmaker, but Star especially. And um, we've offered, in turn, more markets and more value. Um, And we're finding that people are responding very positively to that. Um, So, obviously, you've you've, you've been on the podcast before. Um, How has the odds for each sort of outcome changed since um, last time you were on? The Conservatives, in line with the polls, have shortened hugely. That's the major market mover. Um, they are now 1 to 33 to win the most seats. And to explain that in simple terms, it's either a 97% chance that they have the most seats, or if you wanted to win £1, you'd have to bet 33. Um, so the market basically thinks it's overwhelmingly likely that they return the largest party. Um, we are also 2 to 5 on a Conservative majority, which basically um, means that we're well well odds on on that happening and that we basically can't really see anything different at the moment and long story short the markets are suggesting that the only thing that can really happen is Tory majority or hung hung with Tories the largest party and that's that's a bigger change because um Labour were much closer when this election started much closer um has this been perhaps not the most uh we I talked about this uh, last time with uh, Kieran Pedley, and I think a couple of other people uh, who are quite involved with politics have uh, mentioned this. Has it perhaps not been the most exciting election? I mean, we've had the um, presumption that the Conservatives would get a majority from fairly close to the uh, start of uh, the election cycle, and so far that hasn't been uh, changed at all. Has this sort of affected how many uh, people are betting, people getting involved with betting because they think, oh, well... What's the point in betting on it? Because we already know the outcome. Well, to respond to the first part of that question, um, there's been plenty happening in this election. It's just that the polls haven't changed. They've, they've trended in one direction. Um, this actually has been an election with a huge amount of extremely wild occurrences. Um, not many of them really positive for democracy. Um, but to take it back to a betting point... Um, First of all, we've brought more markets into play to avoid 
people getting um, stagnant, basically. So, yes, we've got most seats in the majority, but you can bet on how many seats each party will win. You can also bet on individual constituencies. So even if this election looks like a done deal, there'll always be value at Star, and there'll always be something that people can uh, pick, basically, to bet on. So we're pretty confident that even if it is a Tory landslide or a blowout, Mm. we're still going to be well in the game. Uh, And also, you know, there is potentially, if there's a shock, there's a chance for us to win. Um, 2017 was a big shock. May, um, I think the Conservatives went into it something like 1-10 to to win the most seats, um, and they probably you know, I think at this point now, they're just ahead of where they were in 2017 for the first time. But there's still three weeks to go. And I think if we've learned anything, it's not to take it for granted. Um, so um, you mentioned sort of other kind of things you can bet on, like numbers of party seats and particular seats. Has um, any of those... Um, you still mentioned obviously the majority, but other than the headline majority figure, has any of the other sort of uh, markets moved a lot since the um, election has been called? Yes, uh, the Lib Dems uh, have moved quite a bit in the seat markets. We've got an overall underline, but to make that simpler, basically, we put a number on how many seats we think each party will end up with, and you can either go over or under it. Um, so for the Lib Dems, we started with a seat line that was close to the 50s, basically. We, we started with, um, it, it was 45 seats, um, so it was 46.5 Lib Dems. We've now um, taken them down to 26.5. And that's a move, by the way, that's come from them going to 32.5 seats just a week ago. So the markets looked negatively upon Joe Swinson's campaign and Lib Dems, and it's reacted, I think, to either bad interviews a polling squeeze, or um, basically the position of revoke now looking too extreme for many people. And the market is quite policy sensitive. Um, so it does pick up on little things like that. The Brexit party, um, we actually had them uh, 1.5 in the seats market. We thought they could pick up at least a couple. We are now 1 to 5, which is an 83.3% chance that they don't win a single seat. Um, and that has changed. We did have them picking up at least one or two. Um, you mentioned how uh, the market is sensitive to policy, and we've had um, the manifestos uh, released now for most of the major parties. Um, and the Conservatives' manifesto in particular had an effect on uh, the result of the election uh, last time. Uh, has there been any movement uh, because of the manifestos or... Has the Conservative manifesto not had the same uh, impact, negative impact that it had for them uh, as it is doing this time? The Conservative manifesto hasn't had a big effect, but it was intended not to do that. It was deliberately crafted to basically keep the campaign narrow and focused and stale because they are winning and winning by street at the moment. The Labour Party manifesto we thought would have had a bit more of a market effect. It's possible that due to extensive sort of pre-briefing and releases of Labour policies, that it didn't have the same surprise cut through in 2017. It was more radical than the 2017 manifesto, and by a good margin, but people were expecting that. And I don't think people were quite expecting it in 2017, when Corbyn was a relatively unknown quantity. And that was the same case for the market too. Uh, The market has a very 
defined view of Jeremy Corbyn now. Um, you know, we, we make Labour a 12 to 1 shot to win the most seats. Um, that's a very big price, you, you know, um, especially for the second biggest party and the only one realistically that can get close to the um, Conservatives. Uh, I would say manifestos usually do have some cut through. But the Labour one, I don't think, has filtered through to the polls yet. Not properly. Mm. That means it doesn't really filter through to the market. So um, on your um, on Starstalls betting, there's also a market for um, turnout, for voter yeah. turnout. Um, now, what are the odds for that? And what do you th- and why do you think that sort of it's, it's sort of that's the area in which it's likely to be? Okay, so we have uh, banded odds for voter turnout. Uh, they go from basically under 50% right up to over 85 uh, The favourite in the voter turnout market is actually for a sort of reasonably impressive total of 65 to 69.99% at 6 to 4. Uh, and 60 to 64% voter turnout is 5 to 2. And 70 to 74.99 is 11 to 4. Uh, basically, we think it will land there. Um, we've seen decent amounts of support for somewhere in 65, 69%. Uh, we're currently six to four on that, which, um, I guess to simplify it, it's somewhere close to, um, 45%. Uh, but basically the last two elections have had turnouts in the mid sixties. Um, this election, I know it's happening in the middle of winter, but it's such an important election and people generally think that, no matter what they think about the parties, that it's likely to have a reasonably high turnout anyway. And we'd be fairly surprised, I think, if um, it turns out that we had a dip in turnout. And, and most punters seem to think we'll get reasonable amount. Uh, most punters seem to think that we'll get um, maybe not as much as the last election. But they're not betting on any dip. We we haven't seen anything like that in the markets. Um, I personally think we'd like to get 65 to 69. Um, and by the way, 6 to 4 is 40%. I, I should have just said 40%. So on the dot, um, there's a 40% chance, according to us, that 60 to 65% of voters actually engage. Um, now, you mentioned uh, constituency, uh, voting on particular constituency uh, results earlier. And I just yeah. wondered, um, how do you uh, come to particular odds for particular seats? Because I know there is obviously uh, polling for certain constituencies, but there is also uh, not individual polling uh, for other constituencies. And there will be um, particular things that may favour one candidate over another locally that don't necessarily come out in uh, nationwide uh, polling. So I wondered how, with individual seats, you, you come up with particular odds. Okay, so we use a range of methods. Um, the first will be um, national swing. So estimated national swing um, in line with majority of you know incumbent candidates uh, usually gives you some sort of a baseline to work out from. We've recently um, been able to use much more sophisticated uh, methods. So we have MRP modelling. Um, we take it from data practice, whatever, you know, it's in the paper so we can use it too. Hmm. Uh, we also have things like Flavable, 
um, which takes a swing and combines it with data about particular constituencies to give an estimate. Um, this is basically the model that gives the Lib Dems quite a few big pickups and usually has the Tories winning um, 330 seats or upwards, depending on what the polls it's fed says. Hmm. Um, also, it, that sometimes it just will be on the ground um, knowledge. It, sometimes it just will be what do we think will happen here. Um, for instance, you know, we can still make Boris Johnson a six to one shot. Um, so, you know, well odds on. Uh, like over 80 percent well actually sorry 85.47 percent chance um to win his seat but that doesn't mean labor's ali milani doesn't have a chance we, we go four to one on him that's we think a reasonable position to hold sometimes we'll use swings sometimes we'll um, estimate that a particular candidate is a bit vulnerable um so we make the s&p 100 to 30 um to win Eastern Bartonshire, which is Joe Swinson's seat, that's a 23% chance. Um, now, it looks low, but actually, we've made it a two-horse race because the Tories are 50 to 1 and so are Labour. Um, so, going, going on the topic of constituencies, um, how do you decide which constituencies to, to do odds for and which ones not to? Obviously, for like safe seats, that's kind of a uh, given. You probably like less likely to do odds for those ones, but in terms of which marginal seats to sort of pick up on? Um, does, is that how did we decide to pick up which marginal seats? So which constituencies to do like um, odds for oh. and which ones not to? Oh, yes. Um, basically, if people ask, we'll put them up. Um, we also have seats of interest. Um, marginals we go for. There's lots of marginals in this election. Uh for instance, if you define a marginal as less than 10% majority, 46 of the 56 Scottish seats, or 59 Scottish seats are marginals, and there are a whole host in England. I think there are 31 that have majorities of less than 500, so we're swimming in marginals. We've added Northern Ireland um, because, A, it's been underrated, um, B, there are alliances and packs now, so much more of a competitive challenge for the punters who can get a decent price. Um, we've added plenty of Midlands and Northern-looking seats because they're going to be most heavily contested. Um, so you don't need to just put in an odds-on shot and be done with it. People have a real choice in the competitive market. We've also added um, the central London seats because they're freeway marginals with the Lib Dems on the rise. And, of course, we've added a couple of the seats where Labour are trying to do a Portillo moment. So Chingford and Woodford Green, where we make Faisal Shaheen a two-to-one shot, to be Ian Duncan Smith, who's four to eleven, um, but we've also got Devon East, where Claire Wright's standing, Eastern Walton, where Dominic Robb is. Um, so basically, it's high-profile candidates, um, what the market wants, and marginals, where we can have a competitive race rather than you know just a two-horse race or somebody miles ahead. Hmm. Um, now uh, we've also had uh, quite a few television. Uh, perhaps not debates, but television uh, interviews and uh, one television uh, debate so far. How much influence do you think the debates have on the perception of who people are going to vote for? Or do you think that people pretty much have already made their minds up about the two leaders before they watch the debates? I think most people have made their minds up about the two leaders before the debates, but they're still important. But people have more pickups from debates than manifestos. 
Um, manifestos get a lot of time, and rightly so, but there isn't as much pickup as there is from a debate even now. And yes, sometimes the audiences that watch it will be um, smaller than in 2010 and much more polarized. But you know, even if 23% of people don't know about your candidate or have no particular opinion, that's a big chunk of the electorate to go after. And also, the market um, does feed off debates purely because. Um, they're pretty much the straightest piece of form you can have in terms of campaigning. You can't, it, politics has similarities to some other sports, but um, in general, because each view on what a party's policies are is so individual and subjective, um, there isn't necessarily a form book apart from the polls and the last election. And they are not rock solid form books. Um, because of things like variance, etc. So, for instance, Joe Swinson, when she tanked on Question Time, um, the Lib Dems seat total went down. Well, the Lib Dems basically in the market are pretty much linked to how Joe Swinson's doing, and it's not been great. Mm. I think people thought that Jeremy Corbyn uh, was shorted a bit. Uh, some people were surprised how big Labour are. But the f- fact of the matter is, he did well in the ITV debate, but he didn't have a clear win in it. I think he probably did better on Friday, um, but that hasn't quite fed into the polls because you know we're only speaking on Monday. Mm. Um, polling takes time. So do punters notice debates? I'd say yes. I'd say more than manifestos because they're just a more they're just a more visual experience, and it's just an easy way to get a grasp on a candidate. Plus, also they reach more voters. And um, people people who dismiss debates seem to forget that um, if you could get an ad, basically. Uh, and four million people would view it. You'd be over the moon. Hmm. And it, they're essentially ads that people watch for massively extended periods of time. So hunters do pick up on debates, but usually if the polls swing or something big happens. Has any sort of odds or movement in the odds um, surprised your prior sort of thoughts about it during this campaign? Um. I'm surprised that we're so low about the Lib Dems, um, just in the sense that they've been squeezing the polls, but not by a huge amount. Like, they're still at a reasonable position. Um, the electoral map isn't amazing for them, but it's certainly, um, relative to what they want to achieve, easier for them than Labour. I'm a bit surprised that the SNP went from 51.5 seats, which was our initial seat line for them, to 46.5 so basically at some point um our market basically said the smp were going to win 51 or so seats now it's been revised down now panel base have the smp at 40 seats i I still think that could be low i think that's that's counting on a lot of tactical voting um but the issue here is that the smp have flanked the remain side um and yes okay they do want independence but um the level of support for independence now is higher than it was in 2017, having after the last two years of Brexit chaos. So we'll have to wait and see, but that's a personal opinion. I'm a bit surprised the S&P moved that way. In terms of the S&P, though, um, is that not likely to, due to the Brexit party dropping out in some Tory-held seats? So in fact that, because obviously they're not, they're not staying in Tory seats, that will help the Tories cling on to a few that could have been quite close between them and the S&P? Yeah, it will do. Um, only thing is those Tory majorities were low. Um, they were low. We are not necessarily talking about um, seats in the Midlands or seats up in the north, etc. 
um, that Labour would have maybe had an inkling at targeting. We're not talking about Telford here. We're talking mainly about places where the SNP didn't get the turnout they did in 2015 and 2017 and where people began to fret a bit about... Um, well, not fret a bit about Scottish independence, but people backed unionism a bit harder following that win. I think a couple of those needles have moved. And it'll be interesting to see where they come out because th- we still rate the SNP highly in our market, still very highly. Do you think that... Um part of the uh, reason that the uh, Liberal Democrats and the Brexit Party are perhaps not doing as well in the polls and uh, in betting as they did earlier in the year is because the campaign has moved slightly away uh, from Brexit as its sole uh, topic of discussion and moved on to other things like uh, social care and um, investment in the economy and things like that. Yes. Um, and it's actually hurt the Lib Dems more than most people would care to admit, uh, because the Lib Dem approach was to outflank Labour on Remain, and they did that successfully with um, revoking Article 50. But now you have a Tory government that is, on the face of it, preparing to pass a deal. Um, that is now seems a much more extreme option, which is isolating. Um, Labour, for all their um, deficit in the polls, have actually had a good campaign in terms of issues. Lots of big signature bold policy announcements that have made people think, oh, what can this opposition do for me? Or at least they've dominated the air war because people are talking about what Labour can do for them. um, And they're getting sort of six, seven minutes of air time on the six and the ten, etc., um, the Lib Dems have struggled in that sense because they've run the Remain calls extremely hard. But if one party is now offering you a second referendum with an option to remain, which let's be honest, most Lib Dems have bitten your hand off for um, 12, 18 months ago, that there's going to be a squeeze in those votes. Um, and it's just, it's just um, a realism avenue as well. Uh, the Lib Dems started with the Joe Smith can be Prime Minister phase, which I think it was probably the ambition of a party that wanted to seem presidential and ambitious and, and wanted people to know that they could vote with them. I don't think it's worked out for them, but things can still change. Um, so do you think um, tactical voting will have a big impact in this election um, on both the Remain and Leave sides? It will have a big impact in certain constituencies, so we're watching it closely it will certainly have an impact betting in this election so for us yes um for the wider population um i don't know i i, I don't really know because the actual amount of people that are planning to tactically vote um or who have indicated to pollsters that they're going to tactically vote is less than 20 percent you know um now if you concentrate that in the right areas it can have a big effect but the Labour Party has significant differences with the Liberal Democrats, and they're the two biggest parties of Remain. Um, the Greens got the raw end of the deal in terms of the um, Remain Alliance, and so did the, um, I think so did Plaid as well. Um, as an example, the closest um, majority see that the Greens get a free run out is the Isle of Wight, but it voted 62% to leave, and Bob Seeley has an over 10,000 majority. And that's like their best result from the Remain Alliance. Uh, I think tactical voting, if you're a punter, you absolutely need to be looking at it. But in the wider sense of things, it's 
unpredictable. Um, I think to a point untested, and it's been done by people who have significant ideological differences, despite being on the same side of the Brexit argument. And that's that's difficult, you know. Um, when Labour, when when the Lib Dems are standing in hands of it in Canterbury, etc. And Labour are getting out of the way and say, um, Eastern Walton, then that's harder. Do you think there's a bit of a, a disconnect between people who are, uh, for want of a better word, part of the uh, political establishment in how uh, they want the result to go and uh, ordinary people? So, uh, for example, um, Tony Blair was on a, a Reuters uh, live interview today and said that he would prefer neither uh, party to have a majority to have a hung parliament. But a recent uh, Ipsos Mori poll uh, showed that 72% of respondents thought it would be bad for the country if no party gets an overall majority. So do you think there is a bit of a a disconnect there? Um, I think I think there is actually more of a connection between the certain class of commentariat, so let's say paper columnists, etc., mm. and the majority of people, um, because I know that people are tired of sick and tired of chaos, and you might say, oh, the political class doesn't understand this. Well, actually, a lot of them are conservative backers who would like nothing more than a conservative majority government. Um, certainly, the people who are writing and commenting in the Tory press. Um, would be delighted with a majority. They'd be, they'd be delighted. I, I, I think we overestimate the difference between the commentary and the country as a whole, um, mainly because people tend to look at real people, which is always a phrase of hated, essentially as um, working class, um, like leaning into the middle class. Um, and they always think there was one certain type of voter. And we've seen this before, working to man who has... Uh, rest in peace seemingly being put into the early uh, memories of this election uh Mondeo man um you know the shy conservative etc every other election or so this happens and i think actually the commentary if anything is closer linked to like the country as a whole than most people would um admit uh well we're coming to the end of the podcast it's been great to have you on again william um you're more than welcome. Uh, you're more than welcome to uh, come on again uh, any time you like. So, I'd just like to ask you uh, one question. Uh, I, uh, we've previously in the last two podcasts, I've uh, asked our guests what they would like for Christmas, but you get a, a bonus question uh, attached to that because I know oh, it's your God. birthday in a couple of days. So, <laughs> I'd, I'd like to, I'd like to ask, uh, what would you uh, like to get for your birthday, and then what would you like to get for Christmas? Oh, that's a really good question. Uh, for my birthday, I would very much like a new laptop battery. Is a sort of selfish yeah. wish, but that would be amazing. That would be honestly truly amazing. Um, and for and for Christmas, what would I like for Christmas? Um, oh, I'll tell you what I'd like for Christmas. I would very much love um, before Christmas for Star to have been on TV in some capacity. I say TV again, we've um, managed to get into the background of a couple of Sky News and BBC shots and before Christmas if we'd been on TV again and there's something in the works on that, that would have been amazing. 
Well, uh, I hope you will get your wish, and I'm sure that uh, all our listeners would like to see a star appear on TV as well. So thank you once again uh, for coming on the podcast. Thank you very much. Uh, if you would like to uh, follow us, you can follow us on Twitter at Debated Podcast. Uh, you can like us on Facebook uh, at Debated Podcast. Uh, follow us on iTunes, Spotify, uh, Spreaker, and YouTube. And if you'd like to email us, you can do so at thedebatedpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I hope you listen to the next one. <laughs>